Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It's a very good morning if you root for the Utah Jazz or the BYU Cougars or the Utah Utes or the Weber State Wildcats. Convincing victories for all four of those teams. For the, for the Jazz now, seven straight wins. They got it going. The uh, Utes had a 12-game Pac-12 conference road losing streak uh, by winning at Washington State, which bizarrely is the last place they won back in 2019. <laughs> so, good win for the Utes there. They won, they won easily, built a big lead, up double digits at halftime, and uh, kept it rolling this time, unlike some of those home games. So, they pick up a W there. Get rid of that nasty streak. The Cougars, uh, they slept through the first six or seven minutes of that game in Provo, and then they just annihilated the Portland Pilots. Not a lot to tell you there. Matt Harms didn't miss a shot, 23 points, hit all nine field goal attempts, and hit all four free throws. Hit his only three-pointer, rattled that thing in. And Weber State blew out Southern Utah, just blew them out. For Utah State, yeah, uh, sorry about that, Aggies. They lose to Colorado State. The win streak stops at 11. They drop to 9-1 in league. And, of course, that kind of opens up the league race a little bit, keeps Colorado State in it. Uh, CSU's got to play Boise State. Boise State's uh, undefeated in league. And one loss for the Aggies, two losses for CSU. And then you got uh, San Diego State and Nevada um, sitting on three losses. So see how this shakes out. I think the Aggies can still lose another game and win the conference outright. A lot of the big dogs in the conference still have to play each other, and so that's, uh, you know, they'll beat each other up, and the Aggies will be okay. Now, the Aggies do have to play Nevada coming up, and then they got Boise State later. I think they can handle Nevada, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes as they go forward here. Um, but I expect now it'll, you know, it's just, it's human nature. Once you lose... You know, it gets your attention, you get focused again, and plus, I just think they're more talented, which, you know, always a positive. Always just be flat out better than the other guy, because that, that's a big, uh, a big positive for you there if you pull that off. Um, I guess another team to watch is UNLV, just because they're 2-2 two and two and they haven't played many games in the league. They've had so many games canceled, but uh, I, don't, I don't think they have it. So, there you go. That's the Mountain West Conference race. Uh, and now back, we'll circle back to the Jazz, where we started. Uh, gave up 43 points in the first quarter, played some pretty good defense after that. Had a huge night from Donovan Mitchell. And then, of course, if you were up for the post-game show, and maybe you, <laughs> you saw it earlier, Shaq said Donovan can't be, you know, the guy on a championship team, and that got, that got the Twitterverse all sorts of riled up. I think a lot of it comes down to tone and how you take it. You know, does he mean right now? Does he mean ever? Um, does he still think he's one of the top 10 players in the game? But, you know, there aren't 10 players in the game at one time who are going to be the best guy on a championship team. I don't even know if you can say the top 10 players in the league that they'll all get championships. Even in the era of uh, these super teams, when you know three guys can knock it out in one year and a couple of years later, three more guys knock it out. <laughs> so I don't even know if you can say that uh, then. So we'll get into it later this morning. I, I think the short story there is um, that Donovan is shorter than the average guy who dominates the league. And Shaq, because he dominantly is a seven-footer, is always going to look at that. And there's a long history of guys over 6'6 dominating it. But if you're the best player 
on a championship team, you're usually 6'6 or taller. There have been a few exceptions out there, maybe the 04 Pistons. Uh, the first Warriors title team was Steph Curry as the best player at 6'3. Now he had an excellent player at 6'7 alongside him. We can, we can uh, break all this down later. I know it bugs Shaq that Gobert isn't a big scorer and who's the second best scorer and can he do it at the highest level. So until you've done it, you got to hear stuff like that. It's just the way it is. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, still to come, best of the Jazz post game show coming up uh, later in the hour. And next, a look at the NFL playoffs. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. Clean out those 2020. Get them at, Get 2020 out of your carpet. Schedule a no-residue carpet cleaning with Zero Res this month and get three rooms clean for just $89.95. Search Zero Res Carpet Cleaning to schedule your appointment or call them at 801-288-9376. Time to bring in John McClain, longtime NFL reporter, works for the Houston Chronicle, been covering pro football for 45 years. John, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. It isn't the biggest game, but it is the best day because we get a doubleheader. The last doubleheader of the NFL season starts with the NFC title game. And I got to say in the league office, they must be thinking, yeah, this is what we wanted. Tom Brady at Lambeau Field and Aaron Rodgers has thrown 50 touchdown passes. Sweet. Is there a better matchup? I mean, are they just drooling over this? I think with both games, because you have the young stars in the AFC and you have the old guard in the NFC, and I think this is the best possible matchup for Aaron Rodgers because Tom Brady is not going to let weather bother him. You know, he's He's been the greatest January quarterback in history, February 2, and so it's not going to have any kind of effect on him. And what a great way to go out. Rogers 48 touchdown passes, Brady somehow 43 through 40, and I I can't wait to see this game. But I'm just as excited to see Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, and I think the the television people and the online people they couldn't ask for better quarterback matchups in these championship games. Both games should be so exciting. It's always a privilege to watch quarterbacks in this era that we have been blessed with in which they throw the ball all over the place compared to when I started and they ran the ball a lot, threw a lot of interceptions. But today, the quarterback play is just magnificent. So I'm wondering, Aaron Rodgers just looked like, man, he was the best he's ever been at such an advanced age. How much do you attribute that to our Utah State's very own Jordan Love? And what I mean by that is we know that they drafted him, and it seems like that fired up Aaron. The general manager, Brian Gunnicutz, took a lot of grief because he didn't get poor old Aaron some receivers in the offseason. Right. There was so much whining and bellyaching about the Gunnicutz not knowing what he was doing, how in the world were they going to win with one receiver, and he only threw 48 touchdown passes. I guess he would have thrown 58 and broken an all-time <laughs> record had he actually had some receivers. But as great quarterbacks do, and Brady is the best example, 
whoever you put out there, they're going to make them look good. And maybe Jordan Love was motivation. Maybe could have said, well, you know, Aaron, last year, even though he got to the NFC Championship game, maybe he needs a little motivation at his old age, even though Rodgers has said multiple times he wants to play into his 40s, which means Love's never going to play, barring an injury, and preseason, if we ever have preseason again. So if it was for the mental part of the game, it was a brilliant move. If it was for the physical part of the game, it's a wasted first-round pick because they're not going to get a first-rounder when the time comes to trade it. So I'm curious with uh, Tampa Bay, what do you think is happening here? Because they had a terrible record against the playoff teams in the regular season, but they did blow out Green Bay. That was their one their one breakthrough. They've now won two games, and I know the first one was Washington and they had a losing record and playing their third quarterback. And New Orleans had won the turnover battle. Do you think Tampa Bay is really an elite championship-level team? And if so, how have they progressed from the regular season so dramatically? I was guilty, like a lot of people were, of thinking, okay, Brady's going to a new team, new coach, new system, new environment, and he's going to be just as good as he was with the Patriots. But because he was working with a totally different coach, Bruce Arians, as you guys know out there, Bruce Arians is a whole lot different than than Bill Belichick is. And so – he was getting criticized for the first time ever. So it took him time to adjust to his receivers. They had injuries at receivers. Their offensive line struggled early, and then it all came together. Now, I don't think their Super Bowl winner would be a great story if they were the first team to win in their stadium. It also would be uh, such a great story to see Brady have a chance to win his seventh ring. But... I'm certainly not going against the Packers playing at Lambeau Field. I remember in 07, they were favored over the Giants. Giants beat them with a field goal in overtime, went on to win the Super Bowl last year to get to the championship game. They're hungry. Matt LaFleur has done a tremendous job in his two seasons, and it just looks like that team, which is running the ball a whole lot better, uh, and it's amazing because they lost their best offensive lineman, left tackle David Bakhtiari, for the season. So I think the Packers are going to win at Lambeau, which is the greatest setting you could be in in January football because it is the frozen tundra. And I think it's going to be a great game, and I am so excited to watch it. I think this angle is potentially a little overstated, but if the Buccaneers and Tom Brady were to pull this off, do you think that that says, wow, it was more about Tom Brady than it was Belichick? I think it's one season, and and I don't think you can gauge anything. If you did, you'd go back to the season that he went down for the year in the first game, and they went 11-5 and with Matt Castle at quarterback. And you'd say, well, it was Belichick, it wasn't Brady. But based on this season, because the Patriots had more opt-outs and more free agent losses than any team in the league, and they still won seven games. To me, that was amazing with that roster. The Texans even beat them. But still, to, to win that many games with all the losses they had besides Brady, I thought Belichick did a hell of a coaching job. But, you know, usually you'd say the coach. But in this case, to me, and I've been covering the league since 77, Bill Belichick is the greatest coach in history. And when I write that or say it, 
on my other shows, people are, are incredulous. Well, what about Lombardi? I said he didn't have to deal with free agency and a salary cap. And uh, and then, of course, I think Brady is the greatest quarterback in history. And, boy, you just look at their record and their rings, and that's easy to ascertain. And and But I would say, overall, quarterbacks are important, but you can't beat a head coach who can always find another quarterback. And I'm not talking about a one-year stopgap with Cam Newton. I'd love to see Brady win another Super Bowl because of what a great story it would be. So, in the AFC title game, I think a lot of Chiefs fans are holding their breath. Are they going to have their guy? Is Mahomes going to be able to go? Do you have any any insight into that? Well, I fully expect him to play, even though it's an independent neurologist who makes that determination. The fact he was out on the practice field, there were different reports. He did practice. He didn't practice. Usually, as you guys know, if a player gets has a concussion during a game and he goes into the locker room where the independent neurologist gives him some tests, if he doesn't come back, he almost always misses at least one week. Okay, moms went out and I saw some medical experts talking about, well, it's a different kind of concussion and he can come back from this. Well, there are multiple kinds of concussions, but if he can be out on the practice field, and I don't care if he's playing underhanded catch on the sideline, if he can just be out there going through the motions, whether it's full drills or limited, that's a good sign for him playing in the game. I look for moms to be out there going against Josh Allen in what should be an intriguing matchup, just like the NFC Championship game. So, John, feel free to tell me I'm nuts and I am crazy and I should be off the air forever. But when I look at Josh Allen, I see a young John Elway. That's a great way to put it. He's got he's a little taller than Elway by about Elway was six three and six three and a half at the combine, two twenty five. He had as good arm as there's ever been. And then of course Brett Favre came along. Dan Marino had a great one, but Elway that was that famous thing for his receiver, the Elway imprint, when they would hold up their hands for the pass and the ball would hit their chest and go through their pads and put an imprint on their sternum. It was kind of like a badge of honor with their receivers. And then Josh and Elway moved well. You know, he was a big guy who could run. You know, the famous helicopter touchdown and the Super Bowl victory, we've seen that two million times. And Josh Allen, very interesting about him. A year ago, the Bills came to Houston to play a wild-card game, and Allen helped them lead 16-0. Then he just cratered in the second half. Deshaun Watson led the Texans to a come-from-behind wild-card victory. And then you wondered at the time, okay, is Josh Allen going to stay the same? Is he going to develop? Is he going to take a step back because of this game? And all he did was skyrocket. And a lot of the credit goes to Brian Dable, his offensive coordinator, who I thought sure would get a head coaching job but isn't. So he'll be at Buffalo again, try again next year. But Allen made more improvement than any player in the league. And when you watch the way he runs and you watch the arm and you see him in the pocket and even some of his delivery, that is a great comparison to John Elway. John McClain joining us, longtime NFL reporter for the Houston Chronicle. you got a pretty big story right in your backyard. Deshaun Watson is pretty upset. Are the Texans going to be able to smooth that over? And might a new coaching hire be able to smooth that over? Or is he going to be the rare quarterback? Quarterbacks at his age who have had his success, they don't usually get traded and moved. Could that actually happen? No. 
it's all in the minds of the national media and media around the country because it makes good fodder for TV shows, talk shows, online. We write about it every day. They've been waiting since the Oilers traded Warren Moon in 1994 to get a quarterback like Watson. He, can't, he had a great season. Every statistic was better than any time in his career, and he did it after they traded DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals, and he lost his next best receiver, Will Fuller, for the last five games because of a BED suspension. So Watson was great, and he's, he's under contract. He's, his, his $156 million extension kicks in next year when his income goes from 10 to $35 million. I saw something on ESPN. He could sit out the season. I'm like, yeah, right. Instead of going from 10 to $35 million next year, he's going to make 10 again next year because you don't get credit if you sit out. He's not like James Harden who quit on his team, quit on the fans, quit on everybody, and it was a really ugly departure out of Houston. That's not Watson. He's a great team player. He wants to win a Super Bowl. He's told us, last thing he told us in our last interview after the season, I want to hold up a Lombardi trophy. His new general manager, Nick Casario's got six of those and six rings, and he can show him how to hold up a Lombardi trophy and how you get them is you got to start with a great quarterback. So I'm sure Casario will talk to him about that. So with a new head coach when they are, I think it'll be Eric Bieniemy, Leslie Frazier, Buffalo defensive coordinator, or Indianapolis defensive coordinator, Matt Hebron-Flues. This will all blow over, and there will be a lot of national media people, ESPN, NFL Network, who's saying he's not coming back. I'm wondering, well, what are they going to say then? So what do you think about the premise of the star player having input in management decisions? He told us when he talked to us near the end of the season and after the season, he had talked to the owner about what kind of quarterback he wanted. And the owner told it was going to be offensive. I'm sorry, coach. Would it be offensive, defensive? And he said it'll be the best guy we can hire. We're going to get a general manager. He's going to do that. He's going to lead the search. And we're going to interview coordinators, the position coaches, former coaches. And Nick Casario was hired. He had a list of five that he's interviewed. And uh, then it came out, quote-unquote, anonymous sources that he was upset, this is in the national media, that he's upset he wasn't consulted on a GM hire. Now, he never mentioned GM does. It's all about the coach and what he was looking for and the culture and the leader that they could follow. And in my 45 years, I've never seen a player have input in a general manager because they don't know what a personnel director does with their team. Nobody does. And so it was all about the head coach. And as the owner said, and as Nick Casario said, of course we're going to keep him up on the conversation about being on our head coaching search. So um, uh, until Watson says something, which he hasn't, he hasn't issued his trade demand, he's only had two uh, lines from rap songs that people are analyzing over and over and over to try to figure out what he means. One, you know, I went. If I were two, I'm a ten. Well, that was after I did a story with the owner saying executive VP of football ops Jack Easterby would not be fired, would not resign, and so that infuriated a lot of people here inside and outside the organization because he's been getting ripped for a year. And then uh, people think that he played a big role in the trade of DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals, and. Uh, and so that's what everybody interpreted. And then he sent one out this week, another line for a song. He's trying to be patient, and he's asked Mama to pray on it. And so everybody's like, what in the world? 
And uh, until he says something definitive, it's going to make great speculation. John McClain joining us, longtime NFL reporter for the Houston Chronicle. John Urban Meyer coached at the University of Utah for two years, so he was only in Salt Lake for 18 months, but he left an indelible mark, and we follow him wherever he goes. He's always a story. Can, is he going to succeed in Jacksonville? Can anyone succeed in Jacksonville? It seems like they got one foot in London. It hasn't been a well-run franchise. They've had a couple of peaks, but mostly valleys. What do you expect for him? That's a great point because since Shad Khan bought that team from Wayne Weaver, they've had the worst record in the league. In 2017, when they went to the AFC Championship game under Doug Marone, had a great defense, a good offense. All of us who covered the AFC South said they're built to last. And then all their star players wanted out. They wanted to be gone. And a lot of them are gone. And so I tell people, who's to say this next group of star players, if they have them, isn't going to want to be gone? As far as Urban Meyer, he told the University of Texas when they acquired, he wasn't interested in coaching because of health reasons. So either his health got really got a lot better real fast, or he'd already been talking to Shad Khan. I think he was talking to Khan. Now, he's retired twice because of health. And when you're coaching a bad NFL team, that's, that's gonna, that wreaks havoc on your health as well. So they give him that long contract for all that money. How can they be sure he's going to be there more than two or three years? The key for Urban Meyer is to get good people around him with NFL experience. Will he be Jimmy Johnson, come from Miami, win multiple Super Bowls? Will he be Nick Saban, bomb out and go back to college? Nobody knows till he gets there, but he's taking over a bad team. But he can get Trevor Lawrence to start off. He can get a lot of talent. they got a lot of cap room. But um, – I don't know that they're going to have to pay a lot of money to get people to go into there and be part of a rebuilding project for a coach who's unproven at that level. It sure is going to be fun to watch because he has left an indelible mark on a lot of places, Mm -hmm. Florida and Ohio State after Utah. So I can't wait because the Texans will play them twice a year. We'll see who the best Clemson quarterback is over the next few years. And it's going to be so intriguing to watch the development of Urban Meyer. And if he does well, that bodes well for other college coaches, I would believe. John, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and uh, talking playoffs and talking NFL. My pleasure, guys. Thank you very much for having me, and stay safe. There's John McLean, longtime NFL reporter, works for the Houston Chronicle. Love having him on talking playoffs and Urban Meyer and Deshaun Watson. All right, when we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show, the Jazz and the Pelicans, part deux. Next, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. All right, it's time now for the best of the postgame show as the Jazz stretch their win streak to seven games by beating the Pelicans. Jake Scott here to wrap it all up. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz beat the Pelicans last night at Vivint Arena, 129-118. to Jazz now have seven 
consecutive wins under their belt. Of course, a TNT game last night uh, that uh, some controversial comments made by particularly Shaquille O'Neal criticizing uh, Donovan Mitchell, saying he could not uh, take it to the next level. We'll get to some player sound a little bit later on, uh, but uh, lots of comments on that and uh, really giving the Jazz some some fuel to their fire to go prove their their doubters wrong. And by the way, Shaq picking on Rudy and now Shaq going at Donovan? Tell you what, Shaquille O'Neal, I guess, uh, not high on the Jazz this year. Uh, but the Jazz, seven wins in a row. Donovan Mitchell was just brilliant uh, against the Pelicans last night. 36 points, seven rebounds, five assists. He was 11 of 19 shooting, eight of eight from the line, six of eight from three. I mean, it just doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Uh, Mike Conley with 20 points, six assists, three steals. Jordan Clarkson with 19 coming in off the bench as far as the Pelicans. Uh, Zion Williamson had 27 points. Um, Brandon Ingram had 23, but he had 20 in the first half. So the Jazz doing a nice job uh, shutting him down in the second half and come away with a victory going away. Well, let's get you some post-game sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. All right, we'll start with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Thank you. Just wondering uh, kind of what happened in terms of New Orleans stonks are in the first quarter with 43 points and, and eight of Colton from deep. And uh, not only what went wrong, but then what went right afterwards as you guys kind of found your way and bounced back. Well, I think we talked about, you know, before this game, you know, how difficult it is to play a team, you know, within a 48 hour period twice, you know, even in a playoff situation, you know, oftentimes between game one and game two, you have your two days off. So it was a quick turn, um, you know, give New Orleans credit. They've got character, they're talented and they came out, you know, came out hard and tough and aggressive, maybe more than anything. I thought transition defense, um, we were on our heels a lot. And some of the times we had some miscommunications where they got some, you know, some easy looks from three, but they, you know, they made eight of them too. Um, so um, w- w- some things we could do better, but also, you know, they played well. And, and I think as the game progressed, you know, I thought our guys were just willing to grind. Um, we started getting back better. Um, defensively, we just kind of, we, we improved. And that allowed us to get some things um, going on the offensive end as well. Tony Jones, The Athletic. Coach, I thought one of the, the the keys for you guys weathering that early storm, that early push from New Orleans was was Donovan um, being able to to kind of carry you guys offensively. On a night like that, when a team kind of punches first, you know what kind of you know push can Donovan give you, and 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 how is that you know related to to him being your best offensive player? Well, you know, the, the first thing for Donovan is he's he's efficient right now. And, you know, that means, you know, he's picking his spots. He's taking what the defense gives him. Uh, and I thought early in the game, he really attacked the rim. Um, he was able to get in the paint and get on the rim. And then as the game progressed, you know, he's seen different pick and roll coverages. They blitzed him at one point. Um, they started way back, you know, by the rim. They were dropped. I think that's what we saw really in the second half when he was able to get some of those pull-up threes off the dribble. Uh, so his ability to read situations, 
Um, he's so he's so unselfish that um, you know he'll he'll take what the defense gives him. And in this case, like you said, you know he had those opportunities, and you know everybody on the team knows that you know he's in that situation. We want him to attack and score, and uh, he just did a really good job of being balanced. You know, I think he had five assists to go with that too. So um, really strong outing for him. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. It kind of made that run back to six points in the fourth. And then I think you guys kind of made a defensive change a little bit, maybe just in terms of execution. But Rudy Gobert maybe helping more on Zion Williamson and his ability to score. What did you see there and how did that help you guys kind of close the game out? Yeah, I, I think, Andy, it was it was more execution related. Um, th- there were some situations there where, you know, for Rudy or a fave, when you're when you're providing help, sometimes um, you're, you're reluctant to, to come too quickly, whether you're going to get a D3 call um, or when you got Steven Adams there on the block ready to rebound. Um, so I thought our timing was better. And we also did a better job not just giving, you know, Zion as much of a straight line where, where we had a little more time to help. So um, that's it's he's hard to guard. And, you know, both Boyan and, and George, the guys that were were on him the most when he had the ball, you know, just have to fight him. And then, as you said, you know, I thought our bigs were coming over a little sooner, um, you know, and having confidence in the guys behind them that they were going to get on the boards. Okay, last question. Ben Anderson, KSLsports.com. Quinn, it was by far the best free throw shooting night, both from attempts and, and makes tonight. What's your thought been on that on the season? And is it just something weird that you can't control makes or attempts? I think we're a better free throw shooting team than we've been, Um, you know, particularly Rudy. Um, And, you know, it's something, you know, there's things from a technical standpoint that, you know, everybody focuses on. You know, we shot a bunch of them in practice the other day, um, which I think was important. You know, guys just um, getting their comfort level and and placing some emphasis on it where our focus and concentration is good. Um, You know, you're going to have some nights where, you know, you don't make them. Um, I don't think Mike Conley's ever going to go over four again in his career. I doubt he's ever done that as well. So there's some of them that are, that are an anomaly, um, but it's important, you know, particularly when you've got a team in the bonus to make him pay. And then also um, when you're on the rim and, you know, you don't get an opportunity to finish and get an N1 when you go to the line, you know, making those count is really important. So um, I think we settled in a little bit. Um, I think we're better free throw shooting team than we've shown. Um, but, you know, that's something we got to continue to be conscious of and, and be good at. There was Quinn Snyder after his team came away with a 129-118 win over the New Orleans Pelicans. Let's get some player sound. Let's get things started with Rudy Gobert. All right, Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Rudy, I don't know if you're aware of uh, what happened on TNT tonight. There was a, a lot of conversations from your friend Shaquille O'Neal uh, and Charles Barkley saying that they they didn't think that Donovan Mitchell was a superstar and that he couldn't do really anything else other than score. And so I'd like to know what you think. I think that at the end of the day, uh, whatever they want to call us, you know, if we keep winning games, they're going to have to watch us anyway. You know, so uh, hopefully they get to watch us uh, until uh, July and uh, and then they can call us whatever they want. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, you've seen how Mike Conley has kind of developed and changed his game and, and maybe kind of gotten more comfortable this season. What have you seen kind of from him compared to this season compared to last season? 
I think he's just much more comfortable, like you said. You know, uh, you know, finding his spots, uh, be, being able to be aggressive, making the right reads. Uh, you know, and also getting used to mostly playing with me on the pick and roll because he, he was playing with a Mark for many many years and uh, with two totally different players. And you know, being able to play with somebody like me, I think takes some adjustments. And uh, you know, he was great in the bubble, and uh, and now he's playing. He's been playing great for us for the start of the season. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey Rudy, so uh, Quinn pointed out that he felt like as the game went along, you and Fave did kind of an improved job in terms of your timing of when to come help, when to when to uh, go defend Zion. What did you feel like was the key there uh, in, in terms of improving the defense as the game went along? I think the first quarter was, uh, you know, they made a lot of shots and uh, I think we were aggressive enough defensively and they got comfortable. Uh, you know, they really hit us hard in the first quarter, but we we just tightened up, you know, uh, started from the guards and of course from the bigs, be able to make sure we protect the baskets and and fight those uh, those big guys. And, uh, you know, I think the, 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 next, the next three quarters were great for us defensively and that's the team we are. You know, even when the team comes to our, to our arena and knocks down shots, uh, I think eight threes in the first quarter, you know, we, we didn't back down and we kept playing our game. All right, last question, Niall Campbell, utahjazz.com. Sorry for a second, I forgot how to uh, unmute. Um, Rudy, two back-to-back -back wins. Uh, it's not easy to play a team back-to-back. -back. Does this win feel differently? And what was your mindset coming into the game? I mean, our mindset was really to focus on us. You know, keep keep playing defense, keep playing the right way offensively, and uh, you know, it's about us getting better. You know, it's not a, it's like a mini playoff series, but it's not the playoffs. You know, if you if you if you win or if you lose, you don't go home. So it's uh, it's all about us keep getting better, and uh, we know that. Uh, you know, today we felt like we had to dig. Uh, dig in a little deeper, but it was a great, you know, it was just a great, great test. And we, you know, we answered the challenge and now we just got to keep taking it one game at a time and uh, keep getting better. That's uh, Rudy Gobert. Rudy was great last night. 12 points, 11 rebounds, four block shots and some just monster blocks uh, as well. Let's now hear from Donovan Mitchell. All right, we'll start with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Hey, Don. Uh, we saw uh, the halftime stuff, and then we saw what Shaq said to you after the game. I mean, it kind of feels like it's a, a little bit of weird timing to do it on a seven-game win streak. Um, what's your response to what he had to say to you? Man, we're on a seven-game win streak right now. We're playing good basketball. Like, you know, I, I hate to take a win like this and make it about what they said about me you know like you look at how we played in the garden like I'm happy you know like I we, we remember the start of the year you know like we we kind of we came out flat in certain games like this if teams hit us first we didn't have a pushback like this was this was kind of Minnesota you know when Minnesota went up 15 like they came out ready to go and we still stayed stayed through like that's really where it's at I mean like at the end of the day like I'm I'm here to, to, to play basketball and be the best teammate and best player that I can be they don't like it they don't like it I'm not I'm not trying to make this about me this is this is team basketball like at the end of the day we're, we're winning we're doing good things and we just got to keep it up because we got golden state coming in and we got to be ready for that eric walden salt lake tribune 
John, can you actually just um, take us kind of through the start of the game? It seemed like you were seeing things you liked, especially on those first couple of possessions, getting to the hoop at will, and then from there heating up from three-point range. What were you seeing out of their coverage that you were able to attack so effectively? Uh, I think, you know, the biggest thing is I liked how I was able to get to the rim and, and be aggressive to start the last game. <clears throat> I think it's tough to, you know, you know, to, to kind of when they come out with a lot of energy, just being able to push right through that. You know, that was really my, my biggest thing is just going out there. And it wasn't necessarily to oh, just go out there and score. You know, it happened to be open, but like just being aggressive in any way, shape or form. Um, and I think, you know, being able to withstand their run was was huge. But for me, just trying to go out there and, and you know, every every chance I get, just keep putting the pressure on the defense, you know, and get into the basket. You know, I was able to get 13 quick. You know, and now they focus on me. Now the guys are open. You know, now guys are hitting shots. Now they're not worried about me. You know, it's like it's kind of like just kind of a mind game in, in a sense. Um, and just taking my time and being patient. Um, and there are a few mistakes that I've made that I can I can learn from this game. And there, there are a bunch of mistakes like I, say, I, can, I can improve on. But I think the biggest thing is just trying to keep being aggressive, uh, running in transition. You know, it's easy to scout and play half-court defense, especially when you play a team back-to-back -back like this. So um, I think the biggest thing is just trying to keep being aggressive, whether it's in transition, uh, taking the open looks when they're there and not passing them up. Tony Jones, The Athletic. Um, you've actually talked about this before, but, you know, you, you've, you've talked about the need for yourself to be able to, you know, do other things other than score, you know, make plays off the dribble, defend at a high level. You know, what are your thoughts on just being the all-around, being an all-around player? Uh, I know you had seven rebounds and five assists tonight and, and just the, the games, the, the, the parts of your game that don't, doesn't involve putting the ball in the basket. Um, I think I've made, you know, some solid strides in that area. You know, rebounding is something that I think for me is, is easy. You know, at the end of the day, you just go in there and box out and jump, you know, and try and just get it. And when you rebound, I'm able to push the break and start the break as opposed to being denied for an outlet or whatever. Uh, so that's one way of impacting the game. Then two, on the flip side, not necessarily passing to get the assists, but just passing to the open man and making the simple play. I think that's one thing for me that I took away from the bubble that I was really, really happy with with myself was being able to, you know, I was scoring and doing whatever, but being able to make the simple play, you know, not always just trying to make the hero play, the home run play, like the pass the other day looked great, but you know, I'm, I'm excited about the swing swing in the corner, like the little things. That's what's, that's what it's all about for me right now. Like at the end of the day, I know what I can do scoring wise, but trying to be the best playmaker I can be. And it's not always passing to an assist. It's, you know, reading the defense, making a play, then creating, then that person creating an, uh, an advantage. So that's really where I'm at. You know, I think five assists is a good step, but I'm, I'm trying to get to, you know, I'm trying to get to, to, to more, you know, try and do more as much as I can. And, you know, as far as defensively, just, you know, not falling asleep weak side, being in help, you know, the things that you really don't see on, on, on TV, you know, and kind of you know, throughout the game, you know, being, being shifted, you know, being in a stance, being locked in mentally, knowing the other team's plays, I think is something that I'm trying to really do that way. You can kind of talk on defense and being able to be a leader in that sense as well. That's been one of my biggest things. Brian Miller, KSL. Donovan, what do you think is the most underappreciated part of Rudy Gobert's game? Um, I mean, I, I, we talk. I mean, I can't say I can say it's underappreciated because I think we the only ones that talk about it and appreciate it here is like the screen assist. You know, I, I think that's something that you know really goes unnoticed. You know, I think you look at the shots I'm hitting, the shots I'm taking. The reason why we're able to get into the paint, myself, Mike, JC, Joe, the reason why we're getting open shots is because he's setting good screens. You know, as defenders, we know how hard it is. You know, when you got a guy like Stephen Adams, who's a good screen setter. But you know, I think Rudy. 
one of y'all have the the stats, but like he led the league by far in screen set between number one and number two. Like that's that's huge for us. That creates that disadvantage, uh, creates that advantage, I should say. And um, that's really one thing that I think goes unappreciated. And we know, we know, we tell him every day that we appreciate it because it gets us open and gets us looks, and not necessarily getting him points, but it's really unselfish. Uh, of him to kind of continue to do that and continue to know that that's how he impacts the game, especially on the offensive end. Defensively, we know what he does, you know, him enrolling as, as well, but being able to get cracks on the screen, you know, I think is something that really people don't really understand that that's a big part of his game that really stands out. Ben Anderson, KSLsports.com. Don, you kind of, people said you weren't going to be much of a shooter coming out of college and you're the fastest player to ever hit 600 threes. Then you have a big game like this and Shaq's doubting you. You're not outwardly chip on your shoulder guy, but is, is that something you carry? Do you, do you have that inside you or is that not what motivates you? Um, I mean, as far as like the, the, I find things, you know, I'm, I've always been that way, whether, whether, whatever it is, um, just trying to find things, you know, and at the end of the day, it wasn't hard, you know, <laughs> kind of coming up, you know, I wasn't, I was told I wasn't going to do well when I went to Brewster in high school. I was told I wasn't going to play at Louisville. Um, I was told that I wasn't going to get drafted, uh, you know, and, and um, the, the, when, sorry, in the draft or whatever, um, to do that. And then, you know, you get drafted to number 13. You won't do much, can't shoot. You know, I kind of have it on a, a bunch of my socks and stuff. Like, um, not here to promote my socks or anything, but they're definitely on there. Um, but, like, that's just been something that I've always heard. You know, it's always been something, you know, and if there's not anything, I find something, you know. And, you know, like I said, people don't like my game, they don't like my game. I'm not really here and playing for what people think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm trying to be the best player I can be, but it helps, you know, when people say I can't do things. I prefer that than hearing the good things, to be honest with you. Nio Campbell, utahjazz.com. Hey, Donovan, um, off the court, you were able to use your platform to really elevate and engage and educate voters in the 2020 election. Uh, with history being made yesterday of the first black woman, South Asian woman, and even AKA uh, to be uh, sworn in as the VP, how, how did that feel to witness that? And uh, what does that mean to your mom and sister? Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing, like to see that, you know, just a, a women in general, but a black African-American woman, you know, a minority to be able to do that, I think is huge, you know, to be able to just use that voice. I was able to speak with her. My mom and sister were as well. She's, she's, she's a, the fact that she, first of all, made history humbly, you know, very humble down to earth, you know, at the end of the day, like care, genuinely cares. I think that's something that's, that stands out, you know, and for my sister, my mom, like, especially my sister, you know, coming up like a leader like that, that she sees on TV every day you know, that sees every day that she can see visually, you know, I do as best as I can. My mom does best she can, but at the end of the day, like having leaders in positions like that of color and that are women, I think are huge. Um, and I think that's something that for me to be, to be able to witness that, you know, my family be able to witness that, especially my mom being the AKA, like there's moments you don't forget, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, you are too, am I, am I correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but like, you already know <laughs> those are moments that just, you know, just indescribable in my opinion, you know, and I think that's, and I think believe she says she's the first, but not the last, like that's, that's the, that's the mindset. There's continuous, you know, ways to continue to, to create change. And this is a great start. This is, this is great. And, um, you know, I'm really, really blessed that my sister, my, my mom, you know, have leaders like that in positions like that. There's Donovan Mitchell, 36.7 rebounds, five assists. Like what he said when asked about the Shaquille O'Neal uh, comments, he said he, uh, the, that he didn't want to make this about him, that the, the team has won seven in a row, and he deflected attention back to his teammates, as uh, as Don, Donovan often does. Let's wrap up the player sound with uh, Mike Conley. 
All right, we'll get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Mike. Right. Uh, given the commentary that the TNT crew had tonight about Donovan being kind of a glorified checker and, and, and not capable of reaching the superstar level, just wondering what your response would be uh, in reaction to that. You know, um, you know I've, I've been a, a big fan of Don's and seeing the way he's grown over the last few seasons, uh, even before I was here, um, his progression has been great. And um, I just, I don't know how you can, you know, make make a statement um, regarding that and his progress at such, at such a young age. Um, he's a guy that's it's gotten better every year. Uh, he's added things to his game and he'll continue to get better. So, um, you know, I don't know, we, we, we like to block out all the noise here. Um, but obviously, you know, we, you, you hear some things leak through, you hear it and it just motivates Don even more. So I'm, I'm thankful for, you know, that and uh, I know he'll be better. Matt Coles, AP. What's the difference during this winning streak when a, another team gets a big run? Um, it seems like you guys are better able to respond recently. What's the key to that? I think it's our um, our ability to turn up our energy level uh, a couple of notches, especially defensively. Um, we really kind of, you know, get after guys and we try to get in passing lanes. We try to just be a little bit more aggressive than um, what we might have been playing that got us in, you know, in a situation where we're down eight or down four, the teams are making runs, whatever it may be. Um, and that leads our offense just, you know, starts to click because once we start to get easy baskets, guys have more and more energy. So I think just our ability to, to turn up our defensive level intensity has been good. Brian Miller, KSL. Hey, Mike, I'm just curious, how has your opinion on Rudy Gobert changed from not playing with him versus playing with him? Um, you know, I think beforehand, you know, you, you, from the outside in, you knew you just, you know, a, a great defensive player. And that's probably all I kind of left it at. But um, after getting to know him and, and what he does and for our team is, you know, he, he makes our team go, honestly. He's the guy that he's the most important player on our team with, with his ability to to get, get guys open on screens and sacrifice runs down the court. Um, very unselfish guy. You got to be super unselfish to, to do that and not, sometimes not touch the ball. Um, and, you know, he's, he's been an incredible teammate and I'm um, just thankful to, to have him. Todd, Deseret News. Hey, Mike, um, can you make the case for me for Jordan Clarkson being sixth man of the year? Oh, for sure. J JC is the sixth man of the year. He's, you know, I don't think anybody else is playing better than he has. Uh, up until this point this season. Um, I mean, he's instantly affecting games every time he comes in in a positive way. Um, it's tough for teams to stop him. I mean, he can score in so many different ways. So um, he, he's definitely the front runner. And, um, and we're hopefully, hopefully we'll, he'll be able to host that, that trophy up at the end of the year. There you go. Mike Conley, 20 points, six assists, had a couple of rebounds. 
uh, had a few steals, three steals as well for Mike, who who continues to be just excellent uh, thus far for the Jazz this season. Uh, your final, the Jazz beat the Pelicans 129-118. to 118. Their next game, they're taking on the Warriors at Vivint Arena tomorrow. It was originally scheduled to be an afternoon game. It is not any longer. The game will tip off at 7 o'clock. Pre-game will begin at 6. All right, a late night for Jake Scott and for Tim Lacombe. They'll be back for the pre-half and post-game Saturday, which will be much earlier, 3 o'clock game. So 2 o'clock for the pre-game, and they'll be doing the post-game like 5.30 to 6.30. Much more reasonable hour. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, looking ahead to the NFL playoffs, the Jazz, all the college hoops. Stay with us.